This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. With one North London side seen off at Anfield, another comes knocking. Arsenal to come tonight in the Carabao Cup for Liverpool with a place in the last eight on the line. I'm Guy Clark. This is Behind Enemy Lines as we get the lowdown on Liverpool's next opponents. While the Gunners have already been given a lesson at Anfield this season, tonight both Jurgen Klopp and Unai Emre are set to name youthful squads with the competition fairly low on both clubs' priority lists. Where for Liverpool, it's Premier League and European dominance on the radar. For Arsenal read top four and Europa League. Over the course of the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be finding out what you need to know about Arsenal, just what happened at the Emirates with Granit Xhaka on Sunday, where Arsenal are under the management of Unai Emery and which young prospects are expected to be given starts at Anfield. There's all of that and I'm sure a lot more to come along the way as well. And the man to deliver the insight and analysis we're after here on Blood Red is James Bench, senior football writer at Football.London. James, thanks for your time. How are you? I'm um, very well, thanks. It's been a, a hectic few days, but I'm um, looking forward to the trip up to Anfield. Yeah, I imagine uh, it has been uh, a fairly hectic time covering Arsenal in recent times. The last week or so doesn't really seem to have gone to plan for Unai Emery's side. It seems to have gone from one low to a last-minute winner, and then on Sunday it all sort of seemed to just blow up on the pitch. Yeah, I mean... You'd never imagine that something like that was coming, but if you had to predict a club it was going to happen to, I think it, it would be Arsenal. It's been um, a really bizarre week, an exhausting week, just to cover them from a professional perspective when you've got last-minute goals and constant drama and VAR and, and all that. Um, you know, I, I suppose the question is sort of how much of a shock it is. And, I mean, I think it's not, you know, that some of the isolated incidents, and, of course, I'm sure we'll talk about Granit Xhaka, they were, but... I think the sort of struggles on the pitch, they haven't really been that much of a shock at all. Yeah, we're going to have a chat, obviously, about the League Cup and the significance, I suppose, for Arsenal. But before we get on to that, we need to put Sunday aside. And Arsenal's club motto, as it were, Victoria Concordia Crescent, victory comes through harmony. Doesn't seem to be an awful lot of harmony with the club captain right now. No, absolutely none at all. Um, you know, for those that didn't see, uh, he was substituted around the hour mark um, with the score level against Crystal Palace. And, you know, it was a logical decision to make, but um, the fans were, were very unhappy. Uh, or, or were very unhappy with him, his performances. Um, and there was a few ironic cheers. He's not been at his best this season. So um, a few ironic cheers. And, and then he sort of seemed to be taking his time to get off the pitch. Um, and that led to, to even more boos. Uh, and then he responded back uh, by cupping his ear, slowing down. Uh, I don't know what your uh, policy is on swearing on this podcast. So I might just stay clear of what he actually said. <laughs> yeah, um, best do. But it was a bit of a it was a bit of a horrible sight uh, for um, for those connected with Arsenal. And uh, uh, it, it, it feels like there's not really any way back for him as club captain. Is it a surprise? That we speak obviously before this game and Monday came and went without any comment from the club. Are they biding their time with this? Are we waiting for a public apology or anything? Because from the outside, it seems like a very bizarre situation. Um, it is utterly bizarre. I, I, I'm about to head to the, uh, their press conference in a few hours where I'm sure we'll hear from them then. I think the issue is if you don't come out and make a comment quite quickly on it, and we haven't heard from Xhaka either, 
um, then you kind of leave space to be filled by by other things. And there's been an awful lot of speculation now about whether he will be um, retained as captain, whether uh, Unai Emery even has the power to uh, ha- even has the power to replace him. So it's um, Arsenal have not probably done themselves any favours by not not publicly saying anything on the matter. And in terms of where Granite Xhaka goes now, looking from the outside, he, he does seem to be a player who polarises opinion there. But how the incident all came around, it, it seems you were obviously in the stadium that he was getting a bit of ironic, sarcastic cheering at him for his performance. As you say, an attacking player was coming on in his place. But then the length of time that he took to get off the pitch seemed to annoy the fans. But it, it seemed as though he took that rather personally that they were then getting even more on his back for his performance, perhaps. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I, I've spoken to Jacques a few times. I spoke to him on, on last Monday, actually. And he's 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 a combative individual, I think it's fair to say. He, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think that would have upset him a lot. Uh, uh, I don't think that is in any way a misgetting circumstance. I think... You know, inevitably, these sort of um, incidents, they, everyone kind of has to have a view on it and it gets quite polarised. But I think the sort of simple reality is if you, uh, swear, at your, um, if you swear at your fans, then it's very difficult to see much in the way of a, a way back as, as club captain. I don't know how he can sort of be a unifying figure that you would want from your captain. I don't know how he, uh, you know, Unai Emery, when he appointed Xhaka as captain, spoke about the sort of uh, the values of uh, being an Arsenal captain and the values of the club. And I mean, they're not really embodied by uh, what Xhaka had to say to his teammates. No, we'll move... Not his teammates, the fans. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll move on to the manager himself then. He's not come out of this with a great deal of credibility, I suppose, either. The the way in which he appointed Jack has been highlighted that perhaps it wasn't even his choice. It was him giving the, the decision to the players when perhaps he, he should have shown stronger leadership himself. And we're almost a year and a half into Emre's reign there at the Emirates and no one seems to be any the wiser as to whether he's a good manager or, or a good fit for Arsenal or not. Yeah, I think it's that good fit thing that, that really is the, the issue. Uh, and early on, almost the kind of the things that are driving Arsenal fans mad about Emery now, almost the things they liked early on. He, he's very pragmatic. You know, he'll set up a team to take on, uh, you know, the the weaknesses and the strengths of of the opposition. I mean, you know, I know Liverpool fans will have seen that um, when we when they played earlier in the season. But even I mean, even against Palace on uh, on Sunday, no one's really talking about it anymore. But he was lining up in a four two four 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 two hybrid. Um, I've never seen them play that that formation at all. Uh, you know, I've seen every game this season. They don't play that formation, and I think you know, there's a real issue with Emery that his teams don't impose anything on the opposition. It's, it's utterly reactive. And that even means that when you go two goals up against a team like Palace, who, of course, they're a good team, a really good team away from home. But, you know, a, t- a team like Liverpool, Tottenham, Man City, you wouldn't, it would be rare in the extreme for them to let a two-goal lead slip away. I think with Arsenal, it feels all too common and all too predictable. I'm not, I'm not sure it's a good fit. I mean, I don't think much will change right now kind of depends on how things go into the international break I don't think Wednesday's game will have a huge amount of uh, importance in terms of deciding Emery's long-term future at Arsenal but it's just it's all just a bit uninspiring and a bit bit insipid really it's not it's not very Arsenal and I think that's the biggest problem Emery has yeah you say it's not very Arsenal I suppose under Arsene Wenger being there for so long that you knew 
no matter who the opposition were, they were going to try and play open, expansive passing football, even if they were going to get sort of torn apart away in big games from time to time. But as you say there, with Emre, it doesn't seem to be the feeling that he's got a style with Arsenal, which you couldn't really label at them in the past, could you? Yeah, there's no style at all. I mean, I I know, you know, I've spoken to sort of quite senior people that that there's a view that Arsenal should be a team that uh, quite aggressive in pressing, that they've got a squad that would be good at, at pressing aggressively, but you only ever see that, you know, in, in five-minute bursts. Um, you know, alternatively, you don't see the old Arsenal. There's no possession, really. I mean, they're so often there, you know, they're having fewer shots and less of the ball than their opponents. And it's, as I say, it's... It can be if it weren't for all the the stupid uh, incidents and the, the the hilarious defensive errors, it would bore you to tears to watch it. And I think that is the biggest thing: is Arsenal fans pay, I think, pay the second most in uh, in season tickets. And at least they, what they used to get was something that was quite fun to watch. And now it's all it's all very depressing and and horrible. And I think that kind of led into a lot of the Xhaka incidents and all that. Yeah, and they, they do always seem to be a team as well, Arsenal, on social media that you mentioned before that the comical defensive errors, you do see funny elements from them. And I suppose one of the positives this season, although he was caught up in one of those like incidents at the weekend, is Matteo Genduzzi, who rugby tackled Wilfred Zaha at the end of the game. But he does seem to have been a player this year who has come to the fore for Arsenal. Oh, he's absolutely, he's absolutely phenomenal. I think he's one of the best. I think he might be one of the best players in the world at his age, uh, and one of the best young central midfielders I've seen in a very long time. He can, he can literally do it all. Um, he's, he's decent in defence. I mean, that rugby tackle was not the brightest idea, but having said that, it's a foul you kind of have to make. You know, Wilfred Zaha would have been one on one, even if that had meant a red card. I suspect Wendy would have taken the red card. I'm a bit surprised he only got a yellow. But, I mean, also going forward, there was a moment in that Palace game where he, he put the sort of ball over the top to Berg, uh, to sorry, to um, Aubameyang, that's the sort you'd think of from someone like Dennis Bergkamp or, or you know, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, someone like Steven Gerrard. He really is a sort of do-it-all midfielder. He's absolutely exceptional. And I think kind of if it weren't for him and um, Aubameyang, this, you know, this season would be even worse than it is. He seems to be a guy as well with this whole Xhaka thing that's bubbling on. If Arsenal are to now look for a new captain who's been mooted as a new Arsenal captain, is that a bit premature or you're obviously speaking of him there in very high terms? Um, I think it's a bit premature now. I would would kind of want to allow him to sort of learn the game, but I, I think it's sort of, it feels like a matter of time more than anything. I think, you know, for now... He wasn't on the list of five captains that Emery named, but I don't see why, if, if Shaq has taken off that list, I don't see why Guendouzi shouldn't then uh, then be added to it. Um, kind of go, in terms of the replacement captain, I would probably say it's uh, it's got to be a Bamiyang, who is probably another one of the few talismanic figures in the uh, in the squad right now. Yeah, I suppose you, you sort of shudder to think where Arsenal would be without those two strikers because they are two world class operators on their day. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. I think it almost some of the some of the tough moments you kind of were thinking. I mean, Lacazette, who's, who was out for about two months, uh, Arsenal could really have done with him because so much of the burden fell on Aubameyang's shoulders. And uh, you know, as fantastic as he is as a, a finisher, he, he he's not one that 
that gets involved in creation in the same way that Lacazette does. Um, I think right now Aubameyang is playing well. Until the last week or so when he went a bit off the boil, he's been playing some of the best football I've seen from him in an Arsenal shirt and looks like one of the best strikers in the Premier League, if not the world. He's He's got the whole lot. He somehow isn't slowing down at 30 years of age and his, his finishing is just absolutely exceptional. Behind Enemy Lines on the Blood Red Channel. Well, that's Arsenal's current predicament covered. Let's look ahead to the game then. Anfield in the League Cup conjures up memories of that classic game back in 2007, I think it was, was it? But uh, obviously these two meeting in the League Cup place in the quarterfinal at stake. But how high on the priority list is this for Arsenal? Oh, it's very low on the priority list. I think it's, it's always been quite low. It's always been not the most important of uh, of competitions for Arsenal. And I think this season in particular, they've kind of they've wanted to use it as a, a competition to to blood youngsters in the way that they they used to under Arsene Wenger, which which I sort of suspect means that you know you're not going to see the the big names um, on uh, on Wednesday night unless it's to build up some match fitness and the like. I don't really see this being a priority and I think it's its importance has only lessened as the Arsenal kind of dip, dipped into crisis in the Premier League. Having said that, I think the worry is that, you know, if Klopp names a strong team, uh, Liverpool could absolutely thump Arsenal. Uh, I don't think anyone would be going to Anfield expecting a, uh, a win or even a draw, particularly when I, th- I think Arsenal played reasonably well um, back in August and still got, you know, quite convincingly taken to, taken to pieces. Um, so I, I don't, I don't really see it being very important, but I think the priority will be, you know, let's not get embarrassed here. Let's not get absolutely hammered. And even since the Wenger days, the League Cup's been a competition that Arsenal have used to blood the next generation, as it were. That continues this season, beat Forest 5-0 in the third round before this game. And a number of players getting a chance in that game, the likes of Joe Willock, who's been in and around the first team, obviously played in the league at Anfield. And uh, Emil Smith-Rowan, a guy who seems to score every time he plays for Arsenal in Gabriel Martinelli. Yeah, he's he's, he's almost quite literally come out of nowhere. Uh, he was playing in um, the state football tier of, of Brazil in, in Sao Paulo with a, a team called Ituano. I, I keep I've asked a few people that know more about Brazilian football to explain this to me, and I think that sort of until as recently as sort of January of this year, he was playing at what was kind of the Brazilian equivalent of the, of the conference or the national league, you know, a very low level, but an absolutely phenomenal young forward. His, his best position is, is supposed to be as a left winger, but he's played as a striker an awful lot. And he seems to have the lot because he scored three headed goals, um, you know, scores with his left foot. I think he probably scored with his right foot as well. He really can do everything, and I think a remarkable coup as a teenager. And I'm I'm always surprised. I know he was on trial at Man United, and they just let him walk out the door. I can't I can't imagine that uh, they, they saw a player who wasn't good enough for them. He's really fantastic, and I'm looking forward to seeing him over the coming years. Yeah, that is a brilliant story. But Arsenal do seem to have a number of young attacking players who are quite exciting. I suppose Nelson's come back this summer and hasn't really done too much, but Bakayo Saka's another one who who seems to impress when he gets a chance as well. Yeah, there, there was always an expectation that, that Saka would go on and, and really impress. I think, 
you know, if you, you take Martinelli to one side because he's not an academy product, but, you know, when Arsenal, uh, the hierarchy, they, they spoke a lot about the, the quality in this academy. I really think it, it's typified by by Saka. Uh, he's got a great backer in Freddie Jungberg, who was the under-23s head coach last season and is now uh, assistant to Unai Emery and, and, and is giving Saka a lot of help in terms of establishing him in the uh, in the first team setup he he is another player that i think has has got the the talent to make it all the way i know he's already been looked at by by the england senior team uh, you know a hard worker on the left wing but then when he gets the ball he just attacks with such confidence and you know where, while there's technical uh, things he can improve in i think if you've got that sort of character those sort of mental attributes i think you're you're, you're going to be pretty well set for the game and in terms of any senior players, are we expecting to see any from Arsenal? Because in the last round, just looking at the team sheet, Tierney played, of course, he's now into the, the league team. Holding also played in that game, as as well as Bayerin, who I know he's had that long injury, but seems to slowly but surely be edging closer to a, a first-team return in the league. Yeah, um, a tough one. I'm still trying to work out myself. I don't think we'll see Tierney. He obviously started in the Premier League. Um, Holding and Bellerin are both possibilities, uh, it's a funny one where basically they have to the the incumbents at right back and centre back basically have to have a shocker before Unai Emery will drop them, which doesn't necessarily seem the the right way of doing things. But I think we might see Bellerin. Um, I do wonder about Mesa Özil, but I think you know the the simple reality, and we've done well to get so far through an Arsenal pro- uh, conversation without talking about him is. If Unai Emery cannot pick him, uh, he won't pick him. So I don't think we'll see Mesut Ozil. I was going to say he was the next man on the uh, on the uh, shopping list, as it were, to talk about Mesut Ozil because he did play in that game against Forest, but he didn't even last the distance in that. He was subbed off in that 5-0 win. And he does seem to be a guy whose stock has completely plummeted under Unai Emery. Yeah, Arsenal want him to leave the club. And, um, you know, I, it, it's been done in quite a, a cutthroat way, but... In the end, if he left in January, that would add about twenty-seven million pounds uh, to Arsenal uh, to, to, for Arsenal to spend on on whatever they should so wish that they're that they're currently spending on a player that you know has his has his moments, but really isn't kind of the player that they they paid all that money for three hundred and fifty grand a week. It's so I kind of think as well. There are some moments where it, it, it beggars belief that you have a World Cup winning number ten, who's one of the great creative players of his generation, and you've left him on, you've left him out of the squad. But actually, I, I see quite a lot of logic in this. He's he's not the force he once was, and in truth, the best thing for everyone, um, for Özil, for Arsenal, for Arsenal supporters, for Emery, is that that he moves on. I think it's just whether they can find a club that will take him, and it's. Um, it's another thing that's made the atmosphere around Arsenal really toxic. And it was notable that, you know, within 10 minutes of, of Xhaka coming off, Arsenal fans were singing, uh, we've got Ozil, which, which felt like a very coded uh, 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 criticism of the manager there. So, um, yeah, I think the best thing for all parties is that, that Arsenal kind of move on without Ozil and Ozil moves on um, from Arsenal as well. Is it sort of a one-man war between Emre and Ozil, this, or, or is it something higher that higher above in the club they're saying look Ozil's on far too much money we we can't really afford him anymore with how Arsenal seem to be trying to streamline their finances and almost needing to give him the the hard shoulder to force his hand to move or or is this Unai Emery just doesn't want him in his team oh it's absolutely it's the whole club hierarchy I mean this goes 
you know, quite literally right the way to the top. I remember speaking to Josh Cronkey, uh, the son of the owner, in um, in on the US tour, and he, he kind of said that Arsenal are a, a, a Europa League club with a Champions League wage bill, and that really does come down to Urzel. But you know, it, this is the agreed policy of Arsenal that. Unai Emery is under no uh, expectation to play Mesut So I don't think, you know, Raul Sanye or, or Josh Kroenke or, or Edu, the technical director, would would say to him, you have to not pick Ozil. But I think they would all all agree that, you know, the view is you don't have to pick Ozil. We are going to look to try and sell him um, or, or move on from him in January. And we'll continue to do that until, until his contract is up. Um, because, as you say, they can't really afford him. You know, it is making them make tough decisions across the board. Um, and, I mean, it was an, an embarrassing uh, decision that Arsenal made to uh, to hand him that contract in the first place. We've spent 20 minutes, or the best part of 20 minutes here, James, talking about Arsenal and all the issues that we're sort of barely scratching the surface for you. It must be a job to sort of keep it all in, in check day to day, sort of knowing what's going on with Arsenal, because it seems to be a really convoluted mess at the moment at the Emirates. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's, um, I have to say, the, the strange thing is, and I, I used to joke about this um, when it was Arsene Wenger, is it, it does feel a bit like Groundhog Day at the same time. I mean, you know, in the Europa League on Thursday, we had people holding up banners asking for the manager to go. Uh, and we had um, half-empty stadia and um, implausible late winners. I was like, is this the Arsene Wenger years all over again? It is, um, in a way, the only advantage I have is that it's, it feels an awful lot every season, like history repeating itself. So I just think, right, what was the what were the talking points last season? What did Unai Emery or Arsene Wenger have to do to solve it? Um, you know, that uh, <laughs> is just the same story over and over again. Um, which is a bit of a shame from a journalistic point of view when you want something fresh to write about. Yeah, fancy flair players and a, a soft underbelly in defence. It, yep. it seems to have been the way for 15 years, but is there any sort of workings in the background or stuff that you sort of see from the team going forward that you do think that perhaps Arsenal could look to... Because everyone was saying this year that bar Liverpool and Man City, the top four could be there for the taking, but it, it still looks as though Arsenal might make a dog's dinner of that as well. Do I see any hope? Uh, not really, no. And I think that's the worst thing because I completely agree. I, I, I didn't think Arsenal would get in the top four, but I did think they, you know, they wouldn't quite shoot themselves in the in the foot so much. I didn't quite think that Tottenham would be this bad, and I, I thought United would be bad, but maybe not this bad. Um, it's it's so. It, it just it, it feels like once more we've got to the stage where there's such a divide between the fan base and you know the manager and the club that something has to be done again. And I, I thought we wouldn't be in this situation for a very long time after Arsene Wenger left. It's just um, I, I, there are the, there are players in, in that squad as well, the likes of Lucas Torreira. Um, that aren't really getting game time that you could see making a direct improvement to the uh, the starting eleven, but they can't get in the team. And I kind of think potentially, you know, 
I, I like Unai Emery, but I think potentially the time might have come for him to go and for someone that can can look at this a bit f- afresh, can get the uh, Arsenal fans back on board. There are still things there. You know, there's a, an, a, a front three that I think, with the exception of Liverpool's, I don't. I think any team in the uh, Premier League would would swap their front three for Arsenal's. Um, you know, there are fantastic young players there. There's a, a possibly a great defence in with Rob Holding, Bellerin, and and Tierney. But I don't think Arsenal are getting there under Emery. And uh, you know, it's quite dispiriting, really, to to watch the same mistakes happen over and over again. I hope I haven't ruined the podcast with my downbeat uh, <laughs> Mina. No, no, no. Far from it, James. It's been great to catch up with you. We may well catch up again in May, uh, ahead of the meeting in the league at Emirates Stadium later in the season. But until then, I hope you can can bear it with watching Arsenal for the time being. And I'm sure you won't be short of things to write about. I'm sure I won't. James Benj covering the fortunes or perhaps misfortunes at Arsenal right now. He is, of course, senior football writer at Football.London. Well, thanks to James for his time and you too for your company here on Blood Red. We'll be back after the game with the post-game pod, bring you all the reaction you need from our team at Anfield, Jurgen Klopp's press conference, and of course, you, the fans. But until then, though, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.